This is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. Glory to you, Christ. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms And blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good evening, everybody. My name is Morgan, and I'm the associate pastor here at Incarnation. A warm welcome to you all on this fifth day of Christmas, the Sunday after uh, the Christmas day. Um, It's great to have you all here celebrating together. And the kids are here as well, and we're so glad that the kids are in here. There are uh, in those bins both uh, pipe cleaners and pens and colored pencils and scraps of paper, and maybe you can draw something or form something. I'm going to be talking some about kings later, maybe some Vikings, uh, and uh, we'll be talking about uh, the infant, Jesus. And so maybe you can draw something or create something about that as you listen. And as we begin, let me pray for us. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart Be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, it's likely that if I do mention the word Vikings, then there's something that's going to come to your mind. And I imagine for most of you, when you think of Vikings, you think of a football team. Or maybe you think of those Halloween costumes, those plastic helmets with the horns, 
little blood on top, or those helmets that have like the nose, the metal plate that goes over the nose, or maybe some of you think of Thor in the Marvel series. But the Vikings were kind of different than that mythical picture that we've created about them, although there's some resemblance. These were the Scandinavian peoples that excelled at sailing at sea. They were one of the only ones to really do that. And they were skilled at war, and they pillaged everything that they conquered. Not only did they go west and make it to portions of Spain, France, Germany, Byzantium, sorry, that would be east, but not only did they make it to those places, but they also sailed west, making it as far as um, Nor- not Norway, uh, Greenland, uh, and then all the way to North America, into this small place in what is today Canada. So in the 8th century, the church and the state in the British Isles had been making steady progress in building churches and building monasteries that were being established during this peace of relative, uh, time of relative peace and prosperity. This was like the early 700s. And during that peace and prosperity, the institutions of religion, education, and statehoods were flourishing. But all of that would quickly soon uh, come to an end by the end of the 700s when the Vikings began to start invading the British Isles. As they made their way through the British Isles, they killed and they destroyed any resistance that they encountered, and they took anything of worth that they could find, destroying monasteries, churches, schools, civic institutions. Everything was ravaged. And after about 850 CE, they, just, they evolved from doing these random raids throughout the country to making more systematic conquests so that by this time, all the various English kingdoms were being conquered by the Viking invaders. For a moment, let's think about what it would have been like to be in the 9th century, the 850s, as somebody living in England who's living in constant fear that tragedy, the tragedy that's occurring in those nearby towns around you, could be in your town next. Do you flee somewhere? Do you stay and try and defend your home? You pull your kids out of school, you start stockpiling your goods, and that way if you need to go into hiding, you have something to come back to. The last thing on your mind is going to daily prayer or a Sunday service or getting a good education, or being a part of a religious community. You're just trying to survive. Everything around you feels dark, and you feel numb because there's nothing that you can do to change the situation that you're in. Every day is just about surviving. And so you feel hopeless about anything getting better, and then you live in this constant fear that the little that you have is going to be taken away. And yet, we know from history that there is one English kingdom that the Vikings could never conquer, and that was Wessex in the southwest of England. That kingdom had this really shrewd and pious king, a man who came to be known as Alfred the Great. Unlike other rulers of his day, he wasn't just content with having successful military resistance, but he cared deeply for the spiritual vitality of the people in his country. 
And then he mourned the fact that people lost the ability to read those books that gave voice to their godly heritage. He was a skilled warrior, diplomat, and scholar. And after there was a great amount of fighting for him to defend his country, Wessex, from the invading armies, he achieved peace for this kingdom of Wessex by making a pact with a guy named Guthrum, a Danish leader, even though that was going to split Wessex from the rest of England. But that pact of peace, it made the peace that was necessary for the church to not only survive in the West, but also to begin to build up those places that it had been ravaged for a century before. Now, Guthrum himself, this Danish leader, along with other Danish invaders, would actually eventually come to convert to Christianity. And then they would be baptized. And one historian says this about uh, this time period. He says, once the Danes had been converted, the distinctions between the two races began to grow less. And it's remarkable how quickly some kind of national unity was restored. The savior of England and of the church in England in those dark days was King Alfred, who alone among the rulers of his time realized the vital importance of the spiritual issue and devoted no less energy to the recovery of the tradition of Christian culture than to the defense of national existence. King Alfred, he brought the peace that was necessary to revive Christianity and education and a healthy civic institution in the British Isles. His people were made free to flourish under his wise and benevolent care. There was comfort and there was peace knowing that the enemy was kept away and the people honored their king most when they lived, worked, and made themselves available to all those good services that the king was offering. The king was most glorified when the citizens most flourished. And I think that reminds me a little bit of our gospel story as we think about this fifth day of Christmas. In the incarnate Son of God, we have a Savior and we have a King who is most glorified when those whom he's liberated live fully into the benefits of the mystery of his incarnation. So in our gospel reading this evening, we encounter two people. We encounter a man named Simeon and a woman named Anna, who are known for being upright before God. The first person, Simeon, is a man who could be a layman or a priest, we're not sure. And then there's Anna, who's a prophetess from the tribe of Asher. And both of them show us something that our hearts are longing for. Both teach us something about the Messiah. By juxtaposing these two people, male and female, these two lives, these two stories, we discover that in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the divine word made flesh, he brings us what our captive hearts most long for, which is deliverance from sin and comfort from sin's destruction. Let's talk a little bit about Simeon. Simeon was a devout man, and he had been waiting for Israel's consolation. That day when the things that cause Israel sorrow would be made right. As Simeon felt a nudge from the Spirit that day to go to the temple, he didn't have any idea he would meet Israel's comforter. He didn't know how long the judgment would last under foreign occupation. 
he waited for the day when Israel was not only effectively self-governed, but also religiously restored and effective in their witness to the Gentiles and the nations around them. This child that Simeon was taking up in his arms was the one who upholds all of creation. This child would be the light for the nations who are walking in darkness, but the path to get there would not be an easy one. After Simeon offers this beautiful hymn of praise, and he says, I can die in peace now, then he turns immediately to Mary, and he promises that this child is going to cause her great pain, and that his ministry will be polarizing, and it'll be controversial. And ultimately, the reason for this is that his ministry was going to reveal whose hearts were hostile towards God. So following the divine comforter joins us into that ministry of exposing the world's hostility to its creator. And the effects of that can be wearisome on our own souls. We can see a hostility to the creator manifested in the ways that we wastefully consume resources without acknowledging God as the good gift giver. We can see it in the ways that a husband and a wife introduce discord into their relationship by a desire to have the last word, in the ways that we make it commonplace to hurt one another, in the ways that we shout obscenities at fellow image bearers when we're behind the steering wheel of a car, in the ways that we lose patience with our children, in the ways that we perpetuate false narratives about the good life that are unattainable. Those are just a few of the places where we most long for God's consolation. Christ came as the comforter, the great consoler, and he came to heal the fraction that existed between creation and its creator, as well as the hurt and the resentments between us, and to recreate those places that were most ravaged by sin. Heaven entered our brokenness so that we can enter into creation's heavenly renewal. So when following the comforter exposes deep-seated human rebellion, we have consolation in Christ, that the rebellion ultimately doesn't hold power over us any longer. So our wearied and bruised hearts yearn for that consolation from the effects of this world's rebellion, and we find it in this word made flesh. As we, just like Simeon, approach the child with this same faith, stretching out our hands as well to the one who holds all things in his. And after Simeon, we uh, come to Anna, the prophetess. She was well known to everybody who goes to the temple. She gives thanks to God for this child. She was at least 84 years of age. She's a widow. She's the type of woman who never missed a service. And she's the one in your church that you definitely want praying for you. People seem to listen to her as an authority. And the text says that she started talking about this child to everybody who was within earshot of her. And she and those who were listening were the kinds of Jews who were waiting for not just the consolation of Israel, but its redemption, liberation from their oppression. They were tired of feeling like they were in exile in their own land, with foreign rulers who didn't share the same concerns that they had, 
They were tired of seeing extortioners take their taxes and then never see their taxes put to good use for their benefit. Israel's frustration kind of reminds me of hikers. How many of the kids have been on a hike before? Yeah, you've been on a hike? Or adults, yes. Um, It reminds me of hiking. It's like the hikers who get lost and they accidentally keep veering to the right through the forest without realizing it until sometime later they get back and this place looks really familiar and they realize they've just returned to where they started. So they're gripped at that point with the fear that they are definitely lost. And at that point they're hungry, they're tired, they're angry. And they're angry that all the work that they had just done was for nothing. They don't know where to go next. But when we think back to this child, Christ, in this child there's redemption, there's deliverance from the wandering that's caused by our captivity to sin. There's deliverance, as one church father says, from a world of deceptions into the paradise of Eden. Deliverance from sin, that's been the hope that we've had uh, for South Arlington. From some of the earliest meetings that Reverend Liz and Amy and I have had about this South Arlington church plant about three years ago now, we wanted this to become a worshiping community that would live and work and play in South Arlington. And as we prayed about that, we kept on circling back to the name Incarnation over and over again because we wanted to be completely enmeshed in life here, inviting people into the love that Christ offers in South Arlington. And it's hard to believe that it has been three years since those initial conversations. And here you are. I mean, you guys are doing just that. And it's amazing to watch. It's been a gift for Ashley and I to be a part of this community. And it's been a gift for me to serve you as a pastor here. Last week, um, if you were here on Sunday, Reverend Liz, our rector, announced that in late February, God has been calling Ashley and I to go plant a new Anglican church in the Franconia-Springfield region. And I just cannot tell you how much I'm going to miss you all. I was thinking about the dinners that we've shared, the small groups we've had, coffee meetings, just hearing the ways that God's at work in your lives, um, the joys of your children, gardening with you, playing soccer, just praying with you, um, and even watching your pets. And Ashley and I are going to miss you guys a lot. Uh, and at the same time, we're grateful for the opportunity to step into God's call in our family's life, to begin a new community in Franconia Springfield. And we're grateful for the open-handed ways that you're enabling us to begin that process. We would love it if you would continue to pray for Ashley and for Cole, who's still in utero, Uh, And for me, as we seek God about the best ways to build a new invitational and welcoming community that's helping people grow in what it means to love Jesus Christ down in Franconia Springfield. We want to see people down there experience God's deliverance and Christ's comfort. Comfort and deliverance, they begin at the Incarnation where the one who was swaddled is the one who can never be bound. The one who was nursed is the one who gives life to all of creation. 
The one who was in Mary's lap crying now sits at the Father's right hand, whose path to glory broke Mary's heart and brought polarizing dissent, revealing the rebellion in the hearts of those who were chained to the darkness. In that holy child, we have the beginning of our life, where the light of heaven leads us to life with our Creator, and where we discover the two things that our hearts are longing for most, the things that Anna and Simeon's hearts were longing for most, deliverance from sin and comfort from sin's destruction. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Savior, you desire that none should perish, and you have taught us through your Son that there is great joy in heaven over every sinner who repents. Grant that our hearts may ache for a lost and broken world. May your Holy Spirit work through our deeds and prayers that the lost may be found and the dead made alive and that all your redeemed may rejoice around your throne. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.